3. We're going to read three verses starting with verse 13. That's Exodus 3, 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you will say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. We would give our full attention to Brother Ronnie. I'm warm to begin with, so we're going <clears> to... <throat> it sure is good to be back here at Arkansas among <clears throat> Christadelphians. And uh, it's such a relief to be out of the world for, for this time. As Brother Robert said, it is an oasis. The uh, subject Brother Robert <clears throat> has asked us to discuss tonight... <clears throat> has to do with nothing less than the great truths of the creation and our place in the universe. And the key is there in those verses in Exodus that Brother Larry read. Now, in actuality, the, the correct understanding of these truths are the solution to the vain attempts of, of science and theology over the centuries to explain our existence and define our destiny. Uh, with science with a so-called grand unified theory and theology's mysteries of the uh, Trinity and the other apostate imaginings. But we are a privileged people. And this has been mentioned already. We are blessed with the knowledge, the correct knowledge and understanding of the mighty one of Israel and his plan for his creation. Because he is the eternal source of all things the great first cause, the eternal increate, who is essentially power, incorruptibility, and life. He's the perfection of love. This is deity who dwells in the eternity of unapproachable light. And as Brother Thomas says, out of deity, all things have proceeded. His free, radiant spirit is the substratum of every existing thing, from the star of the first magnitude to the minutest insect of the air. In the authorized version, he is God, the Lord God, in all caps, Lord in all caps, Almighty God, Most High God, the Lord, all caps of hosts. But these words neither convey, but these words convey neither the true name 
nor significance of purpose as intended by deity. Names of the Bible are of far greater significance, as we all know, than our modern usage. And this is especially true of the Creator's names. And the word for God alone has been translated from more than five different Hebrew words. So the true meaning of the name of deity is concealed within the English words of the authorized versions and uh, most other versions. Now we should realize that the, the Bible is not intended to be a history but a revelation of the character and purpose of its author, the eternal creator of heaven and earth. And in the Bible, we know that we learn that he has a plan for his creation that has been signified in the ways he has chosen to manifest himself to his people. And I should just uh, mention the the, uh, source material that I used to get uh, these thoughts together. And um, see, by Brother Thomas, by Brother John Thomas, Elpis Israel, Eureka, Volume (laughs) 1. Phanerosis by Brother Thomas, World's Redemption by Brother Thomas Williams, and uh, a very readable book by Sister E.J. Lazius called uh, Yahweh Elohim that I would recommend to everybody. Now, when we study the Spirit Word of God, we realize that Deity has revealed Himself And his purpose in his chosen name, Yahweh, through the covenant relationship that he has established with a privileged people. His plan and his covenant are bound up in the fact that the Bible, the spirit word of deity, tells us that mankind, through sin, fell, and this has been mentioned already today, and this morning, mankind fell through sin from the very good condition he was placed in at creation. Man has become alienated from God and the earth cursed. But God in his great righteousness and abounding mercy has opened up a way that will rescue fallen man from the sentence of death pronounced upon him after his disobedience. And we know that as Adamic condemnation or eternity in the grave. He has promised restoration and exaltation of fallen man, that is the hope of eternal life, through certain principles he has established. including that vital truth that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so reconciliation to God comes through a covenant relationship established upon divine principles. A covenant that has been established between man and his creator and has been revealed, as we know, to certain faithful ones throughout history. I think Brother Aaron did a apt job this morning of discussing the the covenants, but briefly we're going to move through these. the first covenant of promise was made with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when their sins were provisionally covered through the shedding of blood of animals to make coats of skin for their their coverings. And of course this pointed to the blood sacrifice of a future Messiah, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And later a token of the steadfastness of Yahweh's purpose was revealed to Noah after the flood that destroyed all life on earth when the rainbow was established in the heavens. And Brother Thomas Williams says, these covenants, that is the, the Adenic and the Noahic covenants, <clears throat> pertain to the earth and the creatures upon it. They deal with the results of the curse, which was the origin and cause of all the evils necessitating the covenants and the end they are intended to reach. But Brother Williams says too, 
But God had a view of ultimately righting all wrongs and eradicating every vestige of sin and its woeful effects. And so Yahweh revealed his plan to a man named Abram, calling him out of a land of idolatry. He later renamed Abram, calling him Abraham, or literally meaning father of many nations or a father of a multitude, because he chose Abraham to be the person through whom his plan would be realized. So Abram was told to leave his native country and go into the land of Canaan. And there God promised to bless him and to make his name great and told him that the nations of the earth would be blessed through him and his seed. Now, the covenant with Abraham was typically confirmed. I know I'm not really doing these covenants justice, but we're moving ahead because of uh, time and the amount of material I'd like to cover. The covenant with Abraham was typically confirmed the sacrificial offering of his son Isaac, and then repeated to Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob, who was later renamed Israel. Now, the, So the promises in the Edenic covenant combined with the promises made to Abraham and with the covenant made with King David make up what we know as the everlasting covenant. And the everlasting covenant assumes a more complete form with respect to its aspect as a kingdom and throne in Yahweh's covenant with King David his kingdom being typical of the everlasting kingdom of God and the, and the blessings to come with it. And so as Christadelphians, we are adopted heirs of these promises. We share the hope of a covenanted people, knowing that life, wisdom, and understanding are attainable only through the true knowledge of Yahweh and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And obviously, there's no way we can cover every point that we need to say about this tonight. And I know that there are scriptures that are going to be left unread that we should read. But the, the amount of material in the time frame will make that impossible. But this is a study that, that I would say absolutely confirms the study of, of the names and titles of deity. Absolutely confirms the absolute veracity of the spirit word and the beauty of the truth that's been revealed to us. And I would recommend this to everybody who's never uh, done this. It's a study that deserves, that not only deserves, but demands our total concentration and utmost attention. Now, there are several names of deity that we should be familiar with, but four in particular that, that pertain to our discussion here tonight. And this is an abbreviated uh, as I mentioned again, this is an abbreviated discussion of these, of these truths. These names are rendered God and Lord, all caps in the authorized version and most other versions. And I realized that I should have had an overhead for this, but we'll go ahead. The first name is Ale, spelled E-L, pronounced Ale, A-I-L, rendered God in the, in the authorized version. It signifies the one supreme, omnipotent spirit power of the universe dwelling in unapproachable light. Ale. Eloah, rendered God in the authorized version, signifies a mighty one. Ale is an Eloah, and so are those messengers of his who manifest his power. The Eloah are mighty because, because of the presence of Ale. 
Elohim rendered God in the authorized version, the plural form of El signifies mighty ones. It's El in multitudinous manifestation, each one of which is an Elohim, but combined are the Elohim. Yahweh rendered all cap Lord or all caps God in the authorized version, sometimes shortened to Yah. This is the purpose of deity memorialized in a name, prophetic of his intention to manifest his nature and glory in a multitude of ones he is taking out of the world for his purpose. The word means he who will be. And this is the memorial name of, of deity condensed into a single word. The full implication of the word was expressed to Moses there in Exodus 3, as we heard in uh, Brother Larry read, and it's reiterated in Hosea 12.5. But we're going to go back to Exodus 3 now. I'm going to uh, be citing some scriptures and not necessarily turning each one up, but I will read them from the, from the stand. One more word that we should be familiar with, one more Hebrew word, is um, because it's going to come up in a couple of the readings from Brother Thomas, and I'm sure most of you are familiar with this. It's Olam, spelled O-L-A-H-M. It's rendered in the authorized version, forever, everlasting, forevermore. It's not necessarily, um, it's not necessarily a definition of eternity, but it's refers to um, an unspecified but definite period of time. And an example would be the Mosaic Age. Brother Thomas says it, an olam in relation to time is a period hidden or concealed, hidden in the past or concealed in the future. In prophecy, it designates absolutely a certain period to exist, but without defining its beginning or ending. So prophetically, it refers to the Millennial Age. <clears throat> so Brother Thomas's translation of Exodus chapter 3, those three verses, well, it's starting at verse 14. And God said unto Moses, I will be who I will be. And in the Hebrew, that's Eye, Asher, Eye. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I will be, hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Yahweh, Elohim of your fathers, Elohim of Abraham, Elohim of Isaac, and the Elohim of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name to the Olam, and the authorized version forever. This is my name to the Olam, and this is my memorial for a generation of the race. <clears throat> now there is a, a distinction between to be made between Ege and Yahweh, and we don't intend to get into that uh, any deeper than just to... Uh, Read a quick note from Phanerosis made by H.P. Uh, Mansfield in the appendix where he says, Eye is the verb and Yahweh is the noun. Eye is the future form of the verb to be, as in Eye, Asher, Eye. Thus, in selecting this verb, deity proclaimed his intention of becoming or extending himself or his being in others. This brother Mansfield says, a father proclaiming his intention of extending himself in a family, the firstborn of which is the Lord Jesus, who now manifests the fullness of divine glory mentally, morally, and physically. What he is now, we can become. And that's from uh, Phanerosis Centenary Edition, page 52. 
And also I would uh, refer you to page 21 for that analysis and the list of names and titles of deity. It's good to, to have a copy of that in your Bible because it, it um, enhances your, your uh, Bible reading so much when you, when you can refer to those names and read them into the text. So, <clears throat> Yahweh Elohim, the memorial name in its fullest sense, expresses deity's purpose to manifest his glory in the earth. First in an individual, second in a community, and then finally in all the earth. Now, throughout the spirit word, the name of Yahweh is attached to titles to form composite names of God. And as we study them, we see that there, there, that there were certain circumstances in, in which they were originally given, each with its own significance. The name Yahweh is in itself prophetic and proclaims God's intention to manifest himself, as we said, without particularly specifying the manner in which this will be done. And the addition of titles indicates the form of manifestation. For example, Yahweh Zvayath, and Zvayath in the Hebrew signifies host or army. Yahweh Zvayath proclaims that he will be manifested in an army or in a mighty host. And being prophetic, it points to the time when the Lord Jesus will lead the saints as the army of Yahweh against the world of darkness. So again, Yahweh Elohim signifies he who will be manifested not only in the, per in the person of a promised one, but also in the multitude of mighty ones. And it's important to remember in all this, Yahweh's intention is not to convert the nations, but to take out of the nations, for out of a people from the midst of the nations for the express purpose of manifesting his glory. And that purpose is encompassed in the name Yahweh Elohim. <clears throat> and the, the uh, key thought there is, Brother Thomas said, God manifestation, not human salvation, is the doctrine of the Bible. So even though Yahweh chooses to be manifested in multitudes, we, ha we have to remember that he is one being. He is the supreme, self-existent, eternal one, Ael. Paul and Moses both declare that, the, that there is no other God but one. Paul, for example, in 1 Corinthians 8 says, There is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. And Yahweh himself asked in Isaiah, Does there exist an Eloah without me? Yea, there is no rock, I know not any. And the familiar Deuteronomy 6.4 is better rendered, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our Elohim is one Yahweh, which literally means in the Hebrew, Hebrew, He who shall be our mighty ones is the one who shall be. <clears throat> now, all things pertaining to this memorial name were typically foreshadowed in the Mosaic Constitution, which Paul says were shadows of good things to come. And soon after Yahweh had spoken the Ten Commandments through Moses to the people, he said in Exodus 20, 
Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall you make unto you gods of gold. An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and shall sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thy oxen. <laughs> and then he told Moses, in all, thy pla- in all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee and bless thee. <clears throat> the name was revealed in the wilderness by spirit light, fire and glory. All figurative of the guidance of Yahweh, his goodness and mercy. The glory of his future manifestation. And the spirit fire was so instrumental in giving light to the children of Israel in their wanderings. Spirit fire consumed the sacrifices on the altar. And by it the lights of the Urim were reflected from the precious stones of Aaron's breastplate. And this fire so typical of mercy and justice is also figurative of the consuming fire of Yahweh and the destruction of the ungodly. So the name Yahweh is recorded in the wilderness. is concealed in the figurative representations revealed in those scriptures which bear testimony to the things concerning the name of Jesus Christ. The name was recorded in the wilderness when Moses stood in the cleft of the rock and the goodness of Yahweh passed before him declaring his truth and mercy and justice. <clears throat> Yahweh's glory w- was recorded in the wilderness at a time of murmuring and complaining by the people. <clears throat> when many of them were consumed by fire sent by Yahweh. This account is in Numbers 11. And by the way, the Hebrew, I didn't know this, but the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew name for the book of Numbers is literally in the wilderness. But on this occasion, the people were rebellious and lusted for meat. But through the active mediatorship of Moses, they were saved and given manna from heaven. This was the occasion when Moses beseeched Yahweh for help because the burden of the people was too heavy for, on him. So Yahweh regarded Moses' supplication and grief as mediator on this occasion and assembled 70 of the elders to share his burden. And the record there in Numbers 11 says, Yahweh came down in a cloud and spake unto him and took of the spirit that was upon him and gave it to the 70 elders. And it came to pass that they prophesied and did not cease. <clears throat> the name is again recorded in the wilderness when the people became much discouraged <clears throat> because of the hardness of the way and spake against Ael and against Moses. <clears throat> the account here is in Numbers 21. And again, I would encourage each of you to do a more in-depth study of, of all these topics. And on this occasion, Yahweh sent fiery serpents among them, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. We all know this account. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against Yahweh and against thee. Pray unto Yahweh that he may take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And Yahweh said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And so this scene of the record of the name of the wilderness presents a figure of the condemnation of sin in the flesh. That Christ revealed the, significant, the signification of this symbol to Nicodemus when he said in John 3... As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
that whoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is Eloah in chief, the child born and the son given, the head of the body in whom it pleased the Father that all the fullness should dwell, that among all he might have the preeminence. And when the fullness of time had come, he was sent forth, being made under the law to purchase those under the law, that they might obtain the sonship. He was Emmanuel, God with us, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's the firstborn of a new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And I think we all realize that the heavens, literal and natural, are used in Scripture to represent the political and ecclesiastical constitutions of empires, kingdoms, and other governments. So we read in in the prophecy of Daniel about the little horn of the goat growing great even to the host of heaven. And he cast down the host of the stars to the heavens, of the heavens to the ground and stamped on them. Now the host of the heaven and the stars were the ruling powers in the Mosaic cosmos or order of things that constituted the kingdom of Israel. The elements of that order were dissolved, as Peter says, by a great noise and fervent heat. But he says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. The constitution of the new heaven and new earth is to be everlasting. But before these new heavens can be made to appear, the vision seen by John and the apocalypse must come to pass. And of course, I'm referring to um, when John said, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. As Brother, Com- Brother Thomas comments, a door will have to be opened in the heavens for the Gentile kingdoms of, of this age in order to make way for establishing the new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. In the beginning of the foundation for those new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness is in the manifestation of the Father through his Son, Lord Jesus Christ. Yahweh manifested in an individual. He's the beginning of the new creation of the deity, the headstone of the corner. <clears throat> in him, Yahweh's spirit of wisdom and, his word, and the word of his power are revealed in fullness of glory. He's the son of righteousness that will arise with healing in his beams. And when he returns in glory, he will be attended by the moon and those stars that have been accounted worthy. Their power to shine will be derived from him. And if they have truly reflected his wisdom and his word in this present life, they will receive power to reflect his ultimate glory in the coming age. As Daniel 12, 3 says, they, they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as stars for the olam and beyond. <clears throat> now the hopes of Certain faithful ones in Israel were reassured by the birth of him and whom the promises made unto the fathers were to be fulfilled. And I took this summary uh, concerning Christ and the covenants of promise from Phanerosis. A couple of important points. Brother Thomas says, Moses, or what we should learn from what Moses taught, Moses taught concerning the Christ that he was to be born of Adam's race that he was to be the seed of the woman and the son of God. He was to be killed. He would be raised from the dead and he was to destroy the power that killed him. 
Brother Thomas says in the figurative sacrifice of Isaac, it was taught that Christ was the son of a woman, son of power, or son of God. And he was to descend from Isaac. That he was to be offered as a sacrifice and that he was to be raised from the dead. He says, from David we learn that the Christ, or the Davidian son of God, is to be king upon a throne in Zion, where David's sons have already reigned. That the throne on which they sat is to have existence to the Olam. That the Son of God would consequently be ascending Adam, Yahweh Elohim, whom in Psalm 110, David in spirit saw at the right hand of power. That insight quote from Brother Thomas. Matthew relates the manner in which Jesus was introduced upon the scene of his mission and work in Matthew 3 by saying, uh, this is verse 1, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the royal majesty of the heavens has approached. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And down in verse 5, then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan confessing their sins. Down to the 11th verse in Matthew 3, and he said unto them, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan and to John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and thou comest to me. Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And according to uh, Luke 3.23, Jesus was about 30 years of age at this time. So the, the descent of the dove and the anointing were all prefigured in Daniel's vision of the sealing of the vision and in the anointing all of the tabernacle service. The prophet Isaiah foretold of the harmlessness and the gentleness characterized by the, the uh, lamb and the dove that would characterize the spirit of Christ. He says in chapter 42, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. The living fulfillment is recorded in all the Gospels. Matthew records in his 12th chapter, He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall a man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench till he send forth judgment unto victory. And and in his name shall the Gentiles trust that it might be fulfilled that was spoken by the prophet. Now, the, the essence of the figurative language there in Matthew being that Jesus was not a broken, useless reed in the sense of Yahweh's indictment of apostate Israel in the days of Abijah. And he was not a smoking light soon to go out but he was a strong and beautiful rod out of the stem of Jesse, 
a burning and shining light that eclipsed even John. He was the true light that gives light to the world. And he shone brightly in Israel for appointed for an appointed time and was given for a sacrifice. Then, like Aaron's rod that budded and blossomed, even though it was cut off, he was raised from the dead that the pleasure of the Lord might prosper in his hand. <clears throat> now, in all Yahweh's dealings with, with people, with his people, his plan has been to appoint for them a season of trial, discipline, and probation previous to sending them forth. And I think this is true of Israel, and I think it's true of the Ecclesia, and it is, of course, true for the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. After passing through the waters of baptism <clears throat> and having received the anointing spirit, he was led up, to the, led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the adversary. The tempter presented him with the lust of, the, the lust of eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. But he overcame and told the adversary, Get thee hence, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So he, he shared our fleshly human nature, but he overcame the world and its lust. And since he was actually tempted as we are, he is now able in his glorified position to help those who suffer in the days of our flesh. He's the second and greater Adam. And there's an obvious contrast between Jesus and the first Adam. Both were placed under circumstances of trial. All of the circumstances were different in character. <clears throat> but the temptations are common to all sons of Adam. Lust, as we mentioned, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. <clears throat> the contrast lies in the fact, though, that Adam and Eve grasp at equality and the attempt to become like the Elohim. But Christ, the second Adam, counted such, as we know from Philippians, counted such equality a thing not to be grasped. And it, so he overcame the flesh. <clears throat> Adam and Eve gave in to temptation and fell. Christ resented temptation and was exalted and is set down at the right hand of his father. In Eureka Volume 1, <clears throat> Brother Thomas says, <clears throat> The de deity manifested himself in Jesus by the truth he spoke and the wonders he performed. In this manifestation, the development of the memorial name was initiated. The one had become two, and Yahweh Elohim, in relation to the human race, had become a fact. But the manifestation of the name is only initiated, not completed, in the person of Jesus Christ. In that quote from Brother Thomas. Yahweh has chosen to manifest himself in a community of faithful ones called out of the darkness of this world. Saints called to the hope of glory. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Colossians, expresses his desire that, the saints, that these saints have all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, and whom are hid all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's in Colossians uh, chapter 2. 
Uh, these treasures of wisdom and knowledge were a part of the glory hidden during the Mosaic Olam. Enfolded in a mystery or hidden knowledge which was destined to be revealed through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the wisdom that hath been hidden, which God <clears throat> ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. <clears throat> the wisdom of Yahweh manifested through his anointed Jesus Christ forms the only foundation for glory in the name. This wisdom was preached by Christ through the gospel message, according to the promise in Proverbs that the wise shall inherit glory. Glory to be obtained by his called out ones in uh, immortal existence in the future age can only be attained by gaining in this age the wisdom that is from above. Christ is the wisdom of Yahweh, and he has made unto all who are in him wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. The righteousness of Christ can only be attained through the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this faith comprehends the gospel of, the sal of salvation. The things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus anointed. <clears throat> Jesus told his disciples after his resurrection to go into all the world and preach the gospel. <clears throat> and he said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And Peter told the believers at Pentecost to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. <clears throat> and so, as Brother Thomas says in Elpis Israel, the obedience of faith is made the condition of righteousness. Having been begotten of the Father, of the word of truth, and born of water, the first stage of the process is completed, and the believer is constitutionally in Christ. Now, at the foundation of the gospel, this gospel of salvation, lies the two great covenants we mentioned. Yahweh's covenant with Abraham and his covenant with David. The promise is made of God and of the fathers. And Gentiles can become heirs of these promises because, as Paul says in Galatians 3, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one and to thy seed, which is Christ. And Paul goes on to say, as we know in, in verse 26, For ye are all the sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. We are, therefore, members of the household of God, the ecclesia of Christ, a community of one faith, one hope, one Lord, one spirit, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And when the spirit of the mind is truly renewed in Christ, his brothers and sisters, his ecclesia, manifest that hope of glory. Because Christ, in his prayer for his followers in John 17, said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Only so far as believers believe and obey the word of truth will they be able to partake of the spirit of Christ now. 
believe and obey the word of truth. Those who have become one in the constitution of righteousness provided by Christ will be counted the true seed of Abraham. As Romans 8 9 says, the children of the promise are counted as the seed. And we all know that the manifestation of the name in this present life exists in a state of of suffering and trial. We're in a state of probation, awaiting the time of Christ's second appearing for, for its future manifestation in greater glory. At that time, the faithful ones who will be approved worthy by the judge will be clothed upon with their house from heaven. That mortality may be swallowed up of life. They will then be born of the Spirit and therefore will be Spirit. And all this based upon the principle that Jesus taught, that which is born of Spirit is Spirit, in John 3, 6. Therefore, these spirit bodies in which the gift of immortality confers, confers the power of shining forth in splendor like the sun are made, into, are made like unto the body of his glory. I'm going to read that again. Therefore, these spirit bodies in which the gift of immortality confers the power of shining forth in splendor like the sun are made like unto the body of his glory. A glorified body made one in nature with her glorious head. In preparation for this glorious life, we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. <clears throat> Jesus Christ himself, as we mentioned, being the chief cornerstone and the built, building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. <clears throat> that references Ephesians 2. <clears throat> now John in the Apocalypse says, I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven. I was in spirit and behold a throne was established in the heaven. And upon the throne, one sitting, and the one sitting was an appearance like a jasper and a sardine stone. And a rainbow circled about the throne, an appearance like an emerald. And around about the throne were 24 elders sitting, having been clothed with white garments. <clears throat> and they had upon their heads golden coronal wreaths. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices, and seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. <clears throat> which are the seven spirits of deity. Those who are accounted worthy to bear the name of the anointed one are represented by the four living ones and the 24 elders here in the apocalypse. Out of the throne proceed lightnings and thunderings and voices, which is the outpouring of the wrath of deity on the great day of El Shaddai, or might of the powerful ones. Judgments are to be executed on the godless world of darkness through the agency of these four living ones. As Daniel says, his throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands of thousands stood before him. That's in Daniel 7.10. The work of these warrior messengers of Yahweh will accomplish everlasting results and the controversy of Zion will be decided beyond the realm of human influence. And then we'll come to pass Isaiah 2.4, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. <clears throat> this is glory. The glory of Yahweh will be manifested in all the earth. And I'd like to finish up by reading from Yahweh Elohim. 
couple of paragraphs. <clears throat> Sister Lazius says, Out of the throne proceed lightnings and thunderings and voices which symbolize a period of war. But when the tempest of war shall have subsided and the gentle showers of refreshing rain shall, depend upon, shall descend upon the harvested earth, the rainbow is represented as appearing in the cloud overarching the throne. Yahweh has appointed the rainbow for a token of the unfailing steadfastness of his promise. Encircling the throne of his glory, it is a symbol of the everlasting stability of the covenanted throne, the king and the glory of the kingdom of the millennial iron. According to the word, to, according to the word of the Spirit, a hidden period of mercy shall be builded. Thy faithfulness in the heavens shall wilt thou establish. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The rainbow is seen in the natural heavens when the sun is shining and the rain is gently falling. The shining forth of the sun of an unclouded dawn will reveal the goodness and glory of that time of blessing in which all nations shall be blessed in Abraham and his, and his seed. The day of rain referred to by the prophet will bring to all people the blessedness contained in the following testimonies. <clears throat> the spirit through his servant Moses spake saying, Give ear, O ye heavens. And I will speak and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop at the, as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of Yahweh. Ascribe ye greatness unto our Elohim. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment and ale of truth. And without iniquity, just and right is he. <clears throat> Sister Lazius goes on, the refreshing, fertilizing influences of the doctrine, the word, the precepts of Yahweh, are likened to the gently showering rain, dispensing fertility and vigor to the tender herbage of the earth. The descent of life-giving spirit power upon the people is also represented in the rain of the following passages. The spirit, of Israel, the spirit for Israel says, after two days he will revive us. And the third day he will raise us up, and, he sh and we shall live in his sight. His going forth is prepared as the morning. He shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. He shall cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. He shall come down like rain upon mown grass, as showers that water the earth. <clears throat> Having gained the victory in their conflict, with the sin powers of the world, the saints are symbolically represented by the 24 elders enthroned. In realization of the Lord's promise to those that overcome, <clears throat> saying, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also ever overcame and have sat down with my Father in his throne. And then the glorious consummation, she says, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness. And princes shall rule in judgment. And a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind and a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Those whose characters shall be able to stand the test of trial are addressed in these words. Look upon Zion, the city of our solemnities. Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation, <clears throat> a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed. 
neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. But there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of Elohim, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathens raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. When these prophetic utterances shall be fulfilled, then in the fullness of that glorious, glorious manifestation of the name, Yahweh Elohim, will appear these words. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion. He is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy.